Welcome to the Denver United podcast series on leadership in every season. Our hope is to equip you to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus in our city. Hello, Denver United, and welcome to another episode of our podcast series, Leadership in Every Season, where we're exploring what it means to be Jesus' representatives, his ambassadors in our city. At a time of great change and uncertainty and fear, all the more now, our role representing Jesus, having the mind of Christ, speaking the truth and love in the public square is so valuable. There is a, a greater need for wisdom in the public discourse now than really any time in my lifetime. You know, speaking for Jesus, injecting hope and truth into the conversation around the water cooler, at the park or in the cul-de-sac, is meaningful in every season. But in seasons of uncertainty and change, the public discourse gets shrill, doesn't it? Uh, and it froths up and bubbles over and there's insanity in every direction. All the more opportunity for Jesus' people to speak truth and life and refresh others and to lead in every season. My guest today is Craig Springer. Craig is a new friend. He's a uh, veteran leader in the body of Christ. He is the executive director for Alpha in the USA. Craig, welcome. Thank you, Rob. I love being here with you and saying hello to Denver United. Can you give us just a little um, perspective uh, or background on your work with Alpha? What does that mean? Most of us in the body of Christ are familiar with the Alpha course here at Denver United. We have hosted it and love it and are, are looking, um, I think, to move from participant to, uh, to DNA share. So in the next couple of years, that's the trajectory we're on with Alpha. I think it'd be great if you just share a little, about, a little bit about what it is and then what you do here in the U.S. in serving in leadership. Yeah, and very quickly, I came from pastoral leadership as well and got frustrated and stuck in how do I personally effectively reach out to uh, the community share Jesus? How do I mobilize people? And increasingly saw a, um, a challenge among younger generations as, as the culture in the U.S. shifted to become more and more post-Christian. Much of our evangelism methodology and strategy in the church was designed for almost more of a Christianized culture, and it wasn't working. And it was getting me more frustrated and um, less effective. And so I, I turned to uh, learning about Alpha because it was designed and developed in a church in downtown London some 30 years ago and has led to a true turnaround movement for the church in the UK and now globally. 26 million people gone through it over the years and, and it was formed in a true kind of post-Christian secular global city center. And it's essentially a conversation series over the course of about 10 weeks, we always have a great meal. Uh, people, uh, Christians invite non-Christian friends, and then there's a film connected to it. It's a you know high-quality kind of global documentary, Netflix-type film series, 20, 25-minute segments. And then there's always a conversation. And uh, we can maybe talk a little bit more about some of the distinctives of Alpha, but the conversation is a space for a guest to share what they think, to be listened to. Uh, we tell them the film is our chance to share sort of the basics about life and faith that from our perspective, the conversation is your chance to share what you think. No one's gonna slam dunk your answer. No one's gonna correct you. No one's gonna judge you. This is your space. 
And we're just seeing an incredible amount of people across the country say yes to Jesus through this. One of the things I've come to love about Alpha is that um, we, we're not there to preach at people. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of antithetical for us preachers, right? Um, I, I love in the trainings how the, the leadership say, it's not a, we always say it's not a good alpha until the first F-bomb flies. Uh, when people <laughs> let loose with their craziest theories about, um, about God and the cosmos, and we, don't, we say nothing more than, that's interesting. Who else has a thought? Then it's a good alpha. And I just think that, that making space for that is Jesus' way in every locale, in every generation, doubly so in post-Christian, urban cosmopolitan settings like London, the headwaters of Alpha, and increasingly like our city of Denver. So tell us what uh, your role is as uh, executive director here in the U.S. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I, we work with 6,500 churches in the U.S., 500 prisons, we have 426,000 participants last year go through Alpha. And so we represent it, we train we equip, we catalyze churches to get involved. We're, we're really across every denomination. So we're building bridges with networks in the Catholic church, uh, Protestant church, you know, you name it, everything. And um, in between that are gospel centered, you know, preaching Jesus, uh, son, perfect son of God died, crucified, uh, resurrected. And we can find uh, salvation through him and creating uh, unity among these movements and cities, churches to begin working together. And, you know, part, part of my job is fundraising. Part of my job is organizational leadership. And part of it is training, equipping, and um, casting vision on Alpha. A couple of things you just said I want to highlight because they're so deeply resonant with our church's values. One, I love how Alpha insists on flying high, majoring on the majors, doctrinally, minoring on the minors, creating a, 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 um, a fence of evangelical orthodoxy and inviting everybody in and not fussing over the, the periphery or getting sidetracked with the inconclusive matters, that it, it doesn't aim to be uh, a theological training course, but rather an invitation to experience Jesus. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I think that more people are apt to come to Jesus when Jesus is presented in broad, truthful brush, brush strokes than when he's paint, painted in a more nuanced but apparently exclusive way. The second thing I heard you say, uh, which I deeply love, is that Alpha is led by practitioners more so than theoreticians. You know, the Gumbel family in London at Holy Trinity Brompton, the Springer family yeah. in Denver for the U.S. You, you all have pastors' hearts because you're pastors. And so you're thinking about what it means at the ground level to equip the saints to have a conversation around Jesus with our neighbor that's more hopeful than the fake $100 bill of yesteryear. And uh, so, yes, and amen to that. Uh, man, as you're a friend to our, to our city, to our church family, uh, I find it interesting, if you don't mind my asking, that you're in the midst of a, of a move yourself, your family, um, and just super excited about that it, it, on a personal level to be, uh, to, to be closer to being neighbors. Yeah, you got it. We've been out in the suburbs. I was uh, uh, teaching and, and uh key leader at the Cherry Hills Community Church, which I absolutely love, but we've just felt the calling to be in the heart of the city, 
and um, just for every reason, I think to to build the mission to reach those who are far from Christ at the heart of the city. I and mean, my wife also leads a ministry that's a little more city oriented. Um, she's working with an organization called Rescue Denver, which is um, helping to rescue women out of sexual exploitation. And we've just been drawn to the city. And so we, in the midst of COVID-19, somehow squeezed a housing transaction through, moving into Capitol Hill in just a few weeks, and been loving building and growing a friendship with you, Rob and Mari, and Denver United. And, and um, honestly, can't wait to plug in. So, well, we're thank you. super thrilled to have you as Denverites, and man, uh, you and Sarah are the real thing, and so grateful for your leadership in the body of Christ and your love for our city. I want to talk about um, what Alpha does and yeah. what we can learn from it, because um, the truest things, Craig, in my experience, become um, truest when they're put to the test. Right? Yeah. You really know what you've got when the pressure ratchets up. Uh, John Maxwell famously and pithily says, um, trial doesn't forge character, it reveals it. It shows us what we have built all these years. You know, Jesus um, modeled this in his life. The Apostle Paul talked about at the end, the believer's work will be tested and it'll either um, be proven to be precious and, and enduring or to be wood, hay and stubble, it'll be burned up. Well, I love how the pressure, the uncertainty, uh, the unprecedented challenges of this global pandemic and then the subsequent global economic recession, what they're revealing about Alpha. What are you seeing? How is Alpha responding? How is it playing in, in the new era when the world suddenly and abruptly and holistically turned upside down? Yeah. Uh, well, let me answer that, but let me put some building blocks in place first around what um, Alpha uniquely does when it comes to evangelism because it makes sense then why it could be working right now. And I think there, well, there's two key shifts in Alpha's approach to evangelism that uh, makes tremendous difference, especially in increasingly post-Christian context. And the first shift is, is that uh, we look at the Gospels. Jesus asked 307 questions. He was asked 183 questions he only directly answers eight questions. Now, some scholars argue and say, no, he only gave three direct answers throughout the entire Gospels. And uh, it'd be fun, you know, everyone can kind of go around and start, start looking at how he interacts with people who have questions, doubts, fears, disagreements. He draws them out through conversation. Now, our definitive strategy of evangelism for the last 50 plus years in the US has been proclamation alone. It's been our single tool. We pick, we see a gap in theology um, or in belief, we pick up the hammer of proclamation and we nail it in someone's heart like a two by four. And now before you call me a heretic, we have to proclaim. So Romans 10, 14 is as true now as it's always been. How will they know unless we tell them? So we're gonna tell them but what about the hundreds of thousands of people in our city, the neighbors in our street who just aren't going to show up to our Christian proclamation moment mm. or in our personal evangelism training, we've been often trained again to proclaim Jesus' style of evangelism is to ask 40 times more questions than to give a direct answer. Mm. So have we asked 40 questions before we think we can come in with a simple answer if there even, if there even is one? one. And so what Alpha does is creates a space 
for conversation, not just proclamation, mm. and trains people how to ask great questions and draw people out. And if there's anything anyone takes away from, uh, you know, even if it's like, I don't even want to be a part of Alpha, fine, be a listener. Mm. David Augsburg is a professor, author, has wrote that being heard is so close to being loved that to the average person, it's almost un- indistinguishable. Mm. And I know this because I'm married <laughs> and I have kids. Like <laughs> the power of listening is the long lost forgotten skill when it comes to evangelism. How, how can we mobilize millennials to uh, reach their friends? How can we be effective evangelists in post-Christian context? Mm. How can we be effective evangelists and mm. show love in the midst of the coronavirus quarantine? It's Jesus's top skill of listening. Can I just say something about that before we get to the question that I asked you that you just got to, um, (laughs) because the, 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 the framework you're establishing is so very important. And I want to make sure that we all really take this in what you were saying about Jesus and his way of evangelism. It's so extraordinarily insightful because it's, it's extraordinarily resonant with what I know of Jesus. It kind of makes the inner me stand up and go, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've been seeing all along. There's something about Jesus that he met people not where he thought they ought to be, but he met them where they were actually at and dignified that place. He was never appalled. He never felt like he was theologically put off by their not knowing the truth or their not loving the right stuff. He met them where they yeah. were. And, you know, in church, famously, we bump into this incongruity with the way we do things. There's kind of a holy trinity uh, of squeamish subjects in church. You know, you've got money, premarital sex, and evangelism. And those are the three subjects that when you say we're going to be talking about this today, people grip their their, their seat a little tighter or they start planning their exit strategy. You know, they're yeah. like, if you announce that series is coming, you're going to get lower attendance, right? Exactly. Right. You got to, you got to almost fool them uh, no, because we think we've heard it all. Right. Uh, and evangelism in particular creates a, 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 a subtle distaste that we don't want to own, but we know we feel it. Evangelism to me is like at least evangelism in quotes in, in the sense in, in which it's often presented in church. And I think I'm guilty of this as a pastor, Craig. Uh, it's kind of like flossing. It's the thing that we all, as, as respectable, like hygiene conscious American adults, we all know we ought to do, but very few of us actually do do. And so there's this gap between what we hold out and what we, we purport to believe and what we practice. And the reason is it makes our gums bleed. It's uncomfortable. It, yeah. it, it, we don't do it regularly enough to figure out the best practices or to, to get used to it. And so we're like, this is dumb. We don't really, we know if we don't brush, uh, bad things are going to happen, but we don't really believe the consequences of not flossing. And maybe we yeah. don't do it right. Like I don't floss until I do like usually right before going to the dentist. And when I floss, I don't so much floss as I like, I like wage ground warfare on my gums. <laughs> they turn into hamburger and, and then something my inner child is like, this is dumb. I'm not doing this anymore. I think evangelism is like that. And it's mm. because we've told everybody that you need to go out there and confront them boldly with the gospel. You know, when we've, we've made a caricature out of the, the tracks of the eighties, but I think there's a little inner um, child who's resistant to passing out fake hundred dollar bills to our neighbors. Cause it feels phony and inauthentic and it doesn't work. And so um, rebooting and looking at how Jesus met people is what it makes Alpha so compelling to me. It's yeah. so authentic. It's so resonant, not only with Jesus, but with my life on a block where 
none of my neighbors love Jesus. Virtually none of my neighbors share my geopolitical philosophies. And yet we tenuously enjoy one another's company. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a, uh, unexpected theological framework that can transform how we look at evangelism. I, in you use that image of evangelism is me picking up the hammer to take the truth that is outside of someone and start nailing it into them. You know, um, it's this sense that no God in that person, I bring God to that person. Right. And, and smack it in there. And, um, and now with, you know, we've done some incredible studies across the nation to kind of gauge evangelism experience and expectation. This is now in a cultural moment where disagreement is interpreted as judgment. It, 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 it's polarized. There's a tribalism, an increasing us and them, everyone, no matter what it is, if you're a meat eater or a vegan, if you're a, a Republican or a Democrat, everyone's returning to their echo chambers and entrenching with um, those who agree with them with greater focus. So the moment you bring some disagreement in, it, it sets off a you know hand grenade in that um, setting. So listening, number one, is the only way that we're going to dismantle the first response of disagreement, feeling like judgment. It, listening draws people out, opens up their heart. But what I wanted to get back to this theology, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that, that God has put eternity into the hearts of humankind. And so what if evangelism isn't picking up a hammer and smacking more God into someone? What if it's more like God already woven his image into the hearts and the stories of people in our lives? What if um, he's been knitting people together in their mother, you know, since they were in their mother's womb and growing them up and, and drawing them out. And our job is almost like uh, finding the threads of the Lord and the tapestry of their hearts and lives. And, and um, you know, it's kind of, it's the concept of prevenient grace. And you now you're a smarter theologian than I am, but it's basically to realize that God's there. God's active. He's already been there. He's already been wooing. He's already been imprinting who he is on their soul. My job is to discover with them, with curiosity, God's activity and let them see how he can fully reorient them into his power and presence mm -hmm. and the life they're created to live. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of beauty. I think there's no more loving thing we can do than make an introduction for someone to the God mm -hmm. who loves them. There's no greater gift mm -hmm. we can ever give. and I absolutely love evangelism because half the time I'm sitting there listening and hearing these beautiful people. I was, I was last night on an online alpha group that people in New York city just kind of hooked up with a friend's church there. And it was the first night and there are 12 people skeptics, not a single one of them uh, were Jesus followers and a handful of people said, you know, I, I want to believe, but you know, all the hatred I see of Christians and treating people that don't believe or live like them. Another guy said, I want to believe, but it's like, um, you just see how news and history is rewritten by those in power. And, you know, why is it that 
this faith hasn't been just rewritten to benefit those in power over these last few years. And, and like, you know, really genuine questions. And I just felt the freedom to say, that's such an interesting question. Like it makes so much sense that you would have that. Tell me more, you know? And, and like, that's evangelism. Now over time, we do proclaim the truth. They're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear about textual criticism and, and um, you know, all the rest, but the space for them to work it out is a place where they get to uh, belong before they're required to believe. And it's, mm. and it's enjoyable. I love it. That concept of the, and that foundation of evangelism on a right understanding of grace, it's, um, it's disarming. It's freeing both for the evangelized and frankly, for the evangelist. I think it's a system that nobody signed up for uh, and nobody finds compelling because yeah. very few of us have seen it work, right? The hammer method. Um, it's just that there is some, some fear beneath the surface that seems to drive us that like, if we don't draw them to Jesus, they won't get drawn. Yeah. And, and the missing piece is the sense that God, who is our loving heavenly father is our neighbor's loving heavenly father as well. They yeah. may not know it yet, but it, it, it makes it no less true. And the grace that drew us to salvation is working to draw them. That doesn't absolve us of responsibility. It just rightly orders our responsibility. And yeah. And he feels like Jesus. And, and, and so we, we create space, we disarm the conversation in the heart through conversation over just proclamation. There's a space for proclamation. There's one more quick shift I just want to mention. It's what's our role as the evangelist? And I had to realize, because uh, I was living, I was leading evangelism ministries and mega churches. And, you know, I do consider myself uh, an evangelist and, and, um, Yet over time, I started seeing less and less fruitfulness and that challenge and like the burdens on me to convert someone, right? And I read in a self-reflective season, Romans 1.16 with kind of new eyes, it says, um, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. I sat, thought about it and realized I think I've been living and training people around evangelism as if Romans 1.16 was rewritten to say the gospel is the explanation of men for the salvation of those who believe. And so what am I doing in every interaction? I'm, I'm like, how am I going to defend this uh, faith statement? How am I going to rewire that person's thing? It's all on me. It's the strategy of the church or the explanation of men for the salvation of those who believe. It mm -hmm. is not the drawing on the napkin that you're working on or the, you know, to your point, the hundred dollar bill track or the testaments that we hand out to people. Um, it's the power of God. Who's the great evangelist. It's not me. It's the Holy spirit. It's not my job to lead someone into salvation. So I can be more free to listen. You know, I'm not going to be the one to come up with that great, perfect response. that's going to convince someone I can actually in the back of my head, just be praying for them more than I'm trying to come up with a great answer. Mm. And that's what we do in our alpha groups. But ultimately, um, in many evangelistic training or strategy moments, we've, we've um, repackaged evangelism to be a cerebral exchange of information rather than a spiritual experience. Like if I could mm. just get the, um, 
the the doctrine transferred from the USB drive of my head into their head, then they'll get it. But mm. we're not introducing people into a theology or a doctrine. That's religion. Mm. Now, those, that stuff's important. We're introducing people into relationship with a living, resurrected Jesus. And so we, we're introducing people into love, intimacy, into mm. his presence. And so this is where um, it's not just explanation, it's experience. I think we've stripped out the mysterious invitation into prayer. Mm. You know, uh, the, um, the friend, police officer, um, in Aurora, Colorado, I won't mention his name. He was the first police officer to step into the Batman premiere massacre in 2012 and help people as they bled out. And he um, ended up on our alpha, very quiet. We never forced anyone to talk. Um, sat there with his arms folded. He's got a good high and tight. I mean, he's a tough cop. And just doesn't say anything. And we listen. We don't, we don't even call on people. They don't want to talk. They don't have to. And I'm just thinking, you know, at some point he, he did share. He said, listen, I know you guys are asking, is there a real God? There's just no way I could believe that a good God would allow these kinds of tragedies that I've seen. And I've got concrete, really, like stone cold heart, you know. And like, there is no explanation that's going to satisfy someone's heart and soul at that level. And if we think there is, you know, we're fooling ourselves because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of us. So part of Alpha is to create a prayer weekend, invite people, and, and all we share the gospel, and also we say, listen, um, you might not have all your questions answered, but if God's real, he's going to show up. So let's try and pray and just ask him, God, if you're real, show up. And so we do that. And Jason comes, good cop, rule follower, says, okay, whatever, come Holy Spirit. <laughs> kind of like that. And um, we waited because the gospel is not the power of my explanation. And we waited and he just starts kind of um, letting out tears and it, and it builds. He's crying and, and volunteers get around him. It's very simple primitive. There's no underscore pad. There's no emotionalism. There's no lights dim. We just like say, hey, come on, Lord, more of you. Come Holy Spirit, Jesus, open up this man's heart to you. Show yourself. And after about 10 minutes and wiping everything away, Jason just kind of steps back and says, whoa, whoa, I have no idea what just happened. I literally felt rocks shatter off my heart. And something like, I don't know, it was warm, I guess. It was like love pour into my heart. I've never felt anything like that before. And, and then he said, I love Jesus. And he was wow. baptized two weeks later. Wow. And then he jumped in. He was a host in our alpha group. And, and um, just to kind of close the story out, it's God said, it's, it's, it's the power of God for the salvation. Of if we can trust, if we can introduce people, if we can live in a way that we're experiencing God's presence, um, the Holy Spirit is the ultimate evangelist. It's not just our explanations. And so we can, we can mobilize people. And, you know, we found in a study, non-Christians today, um, we did a study with Barna and Alfiose reporting that they'd be far more open to faith if they had an eye-opening spiritual experience themselves. And, and we have got to get away from thinking that evangelism is just about, again, that information exchange. It's an introduction to an intimate relationship with Jesus. So hmm. anyway, I'm excited about that, as you can see. 
Well, what you're saying is so deeply resonant. It's resonant with me. I think it's resonant with the Christian heart um, because it does what Jesus does. It, it, it By meeting them where they're at, it kind of meets us where we're at. What you're describing is a conversation I can envision with my neighbors. I can envision our church family having with their neighbors. It's a conversation without a, an agenda um, and without a deal to be closed. It leaves mm-hmm. the work to God and it participates. And it, it, it resonates with that force of grace that drew us to God. And so it, as we began, so we'll conclude. These truths transcend crisis. The truth of God is true in every season. And, and these, these ideas for representing Jesus are meaningful in every season. I would imagine they're doubly meaningful now. In a time of crisis, in a time where our worlds have all gotten smaller and mostly are like a snow globe of our block where we go out and walk the dog and if we're following the rules, we're pretty much here. And um, that means that the opportunity that crisis presents to us makes the truth of God doubly true, makes the, the refreshing of Jesus' way of evangelism doubly refreshing. And I think what you're describing creates a sort of practical uh, invitation for all of us this afternoon when we go out to walk the dog. We don't have to go through a three-year training and become Jedis of evangelism. We can simply listen. Ask questions, engage, buy back trust that sadly, as the brother that you described articulated, um, the church in large part has forfeited uh, by leading with judgment or, or fear or hate. And that's great work. And that's leading in the public square, in the cul-de-sac, on the block, in this season, uh, and, and boy, is that helpful that mm-hmm. the way that people left Jesus saying, I want to know more. Mm-hmm. Would you stay with us? You know, when Paul talked about Jesus, they said, we want to hear more about these things. Will you come back tomorrow? That's how I feel. And uh, I hope that's how our church family feels as you listen today and know that this is uh, this is the direction we're going. So you're going to hear more about Alpha at Denver United in the coming months. And uh, I hope you'll jump in with us. Craig, thank you for taking time to be with us, to encourage us, and uh, to help us think clearly uh, today. In the midst of all of your responsibilities with Alpha in the U.S., uh, thank you for caring about our church and our city. Would you take a minute and just pray for us before we go? Uh, What a privilege. Lord, thank you so much for Denver United as I've been logging into the online services myself and just beginning to see the missional heart that beats strong. Uh, Lord, I know you have um, brought this people together on mission to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus for Denver. I pray for energy. I pray for wisdom. I pray for faith for every person who calls Denver United home, that they can step into meeting the needs of their friends and families. And, and um, Lord, we love you. I pray that this love for you would only multiply uh, among this church and that it would 
flow outward into the city that many would come to know you uh, through the ministry and the work of Denver United. We pray specifically for Rob and Mari. Lord, give them a deep intimacy with you. Give them a great vision to continue leading and shepherding this community. And gosh, Jesus, we love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Craig, my friend, thank you so much for taking time uh, to share with us today. Everybody, may God continue to strengthen and uphold you. May Jesus draw you close to himself during this time and may you shine with his light. God bless you. We'll see you next time and we love you a whole lot.